Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined once again by Quint Starkey. Quint is an English musician originally from Accrington, Lancashire, and he's now based in Stockholm in Sweden. With his latest solo album, Quintessential, aptly titled, recently released, Quint is fresh back from a tour of the UK as a guitarist with Tombstone Dunnery, a blues-based project and band formed by Francis Dunnery of It Bites. Hello and welcome back to the show, Quint. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me back. It's good, it's good to speak to you again after all this time. I think it was about a couple of years ago, wasn't it, when we last had a conversation? It was, and of course, the uh, dreaded COVID came up and that kind of made massive impacts on a lot of musicians. Yes. Within the future, so uh, yeah. 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 Well, anyway, it's great, it's great to have you back on. Thank, thanks so much. Be- before we talk about your latest album and tour, and for specifically for those people that haven't yet heard the earlier episode that we put out just over a year ago, please can you give us a brief history of your musical career and how you came into the music industry, Quint? And, and also, please tell us, because it is quite an interesting story, please tell us how, how you came to be based in Sweden. Well, uh, going back to how it all started, I guess, uh, you know, everybody has this story. They get asked, what inspired you to play electric guitar or guitar in general? And of course, everybody says, I saw Jimi Hendrix or I saw this guitar player or some, some kind of exciting, awesome story. But my story is uh, I was watching Junior Showtime uh, as a kid. <laughs> and I saw three, three young kids, probably about 10 or 11, just sat on chairs strumming classical guitars. And uh, I just, I don't know, it's not not as a pun, but it struck a chord with me. And uh, <laughs> when my dad came home from work, I'd already said to my mum, I just turned to her and said, mum, I want to play guitar. And my dad came home from work and said, uh, okay, if I buy you a guitar, you have to take proper proper guitar lessons. And I said, yeah, sure. So I started to learn classical guitar when I was about 12. I had a great teacher called Burton Granger. And uh, I remember going with another guy and he stuck it out with me for about six weeks and then he dropped dropped off. And But I kept going. And I stayed with this uh, teacher till I was about 15. And then eventually got to a point where he said, I can't teach anymore. We've got as far as I've come in my uh, guitar studies. And he was actually a classical pianist. So oh, yeah. to him, well, can I start on piano now? And uh, unfortunately, he said, no, I think you should stick to guitar because you seem to have a, a natural, uh, you know, uh, adapt or it suits you more than yeah. piano would, I think. And, uh, and, that, and that was the acoustic guitar, was it? That was classical guitar. So classical I learned free music yeah. from, from the get-go, which was great, and, yeah. uh, and did all the classical studies. And, but I would yeah. have loved to have learned piano from from him from then on because, you know, yeah. you get to 20 and you can play piano and guitar. Yeah. Been, I think the nice thing about a piano is you don't have to cut it around necessarily. You just go somewhere and it's in the room and you can just go straight on it. Well, that's interesting because I, I listened to a, an interview with David Page, uh, the guy from Toto, and he was saying that when he – when he was uh, about 15, he was playing in lots of bands and he had this discussion with his father because he wanted to be a drummer. Yeah. And his dad said to him, you know what, you should think about the money even now because when you're a musician and somebody's putting a band together or there's there's a job opportunity, a keyboard player is always going to work and a keyboard player probably doesn't have to take a piano with him because there'll be one in the in the place where you're going to play. Yeah. You don't want to be carting drums around when you're, you know, in your 50s or whatever. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's something to be said for uh, yeah. choosing the instrument. Yeah. So you started off like that, and then then you. Um... I started off, and then of course I I, I got into uh, I think one of the first albums I got that really kind of changed my approach because I used to listen to a classical album called Together Alone with uh, 
John Williams and Julian Bream. And I played that back to back, like for years when I was, you know, in my yeah. early teens. And then I got into Mike Oldfield with Tubular Bells. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think uh, a DJ friend of mine gave me the Boston album, uh, and that blew my mind. Was that with more than a feeling? Yeah, the first one. Yeah, great. And then uh, Thin Lizzy were a big influence. I got into Thin Lizzy, especially the Live and Dangerous album. Uh, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to be Brian Robertson. I thought he was the coolest. Yeah, classic. I've ever seen. Yeah. Still is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, it, I joined uh, what you would call working men's clubs bands and did the tours of the working men's club with a, you know, guys that were a lot older than me, but it was a great experience. Yeah. And uh, there was a, mu- a music store in my local town in Accrington. And uh, I went in there one day and the, the guys knew me and said, Hey, there's a, a pro band looking for a guitar player for a tour of uh, Scandinavia and Germany. Do you, do you want to go for an audition? Uh, so I did. And cause I could read music. I think that's what got me the job because they were leaving two days later. So yeah. Uh, and it was everything from jazz to, country to instrumentals to the top 40 of the day so that was a great uh, a great learning yeah you know for for future yeah uh, and then while i was there i was uh, reading guitar player magazine of course like everyone did and i read about git the musicians institute and uh, interesting story actually i was playing with this band in norway and uh, a guy sent a bottle of champagne over to the band and he was sat on his own. And uh, so we went over to his table to thank him. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, guys, you're great. Uh, listen, I'm, I have a yacht in the Harbour. Do you want to come out tomorrow and have some champagne? We'll just do some cruising. So, you know, we're, we're playing a month residency. We said, hell yeah, we'll do that. Hmm. So we're sat on the boat and eventually we're all sat around the table. And this guy says, he says, Hey, okay guys. So what are your dreams? What do you dream about doing, you know, later in life? And when it came to me, I was the youngest in the band. So I was like last to be asked. I said, well, I've read about a school in, Ho- in Los Angeles in Hollywood and I'd love to go there, but it's, it's very expensive. And he said, what, what does it cost? I said, it's like $12,000 for tuition and living there. And he said, uh, you really want to do it? Is it your dream? I said, yeah, sure. He said, give me your bank account number and I'll put the money in your account. And if you ever get in a position to pay me back, you know, do it. Otherwise, I'll just write it off. And of course, being from Accrington and being very cautious and suspicious, I said, no, you're okay, thanks. But uh, thanks for the offer. And I never took it. So I, know, I don't know to this day if the guy was genuine or not. Uh, right. Interesting. But anyway, but you, that, that yeah. planted the seed to, to, to go off to Hollywood. And, uh, yeah, and then, then you went to America. Yeah, I did the audition tape, sent it in. I went over there and uh, studied for one year, and it was it was amazing. It was, uh, you know, I went from, like, sitting on my sofa back home, listening to Steve Lukath, to sitting three feet away from him, watching him play at the big Wow, and, uh, yeah. You know, Larry Colton. And these guys came into school all the time. So, I, you know, you'd you'd be sitting one-on-one and jamming with Larry Colton. I mean, how, how cool is that? Or Robin Ford or uh, Steve Morse. Yeah. I remember when they brought Dan Huff in. I don't know if you know Dan Huff, but he was like the the session guy who took over from Lukather and Landau when they started doing more solo work. And uh, yeah, played on everything, Michael Jackson, you name it, he played on everything, boss gags. And, uh, and Tommy Tedesco used to bring these guys in. So he was sat on stage and Dan Huff walks in and we're like 100 guys just looking. And Because the guy looked so normal, nobody clapped or anything. And Tommy no. Tedesco says, hey, guys, this is Dan Huff. Come on, give it up for him. You know, <laughs> these guys are just human like the rest of us. Yeah, but, yeah, you yeah. know, as a musician, you put them up there on pedestal. You're in awe, aren't you? Yeah, yeah you are, yeah. 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 Maybe he just came from a Michael Jackson day, you know, and it's, it's yeah. just, but it's, you know, they're just normal guys. And uh, so that that was that was amazing, that, you know. And I wanted to do sessions. That was my dream to do session work. But, you know, they were so funny. I remember Steve Luther and Jay Graydon coming in and just, you know, they sat on the stage and we just got to ask questions. And one guy says, 
AJ, when I finish school, I want to stick around and do sessions in town. What, do you have any advice for me? And he said, yeah, where are you from? He said, I'm from Minnesota. He said, go back to Minnesota. There's enough guys in this town, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, but uh, yeah, no, it was great. So so actually what I did there, I, I had a teacher there called Dan Gilbert. It was like my personal tutor who, who went above and beyond and gave me extra lessons. And he was so great. And uh, hmm. just before I was leaving, he said to me, why don't you, why don't you stay on and teach at the school? And I said, do you think I could get a job here? And he said, I'm sure you could, yeah. So so I kind of went back home because I had to, uh, you know, I had a, a girlfriend at the time. And uh, when I was home, I, I got a message from my dad and said, uh, oh, they called from L.A. You know, they said, the answer is yes. What does that mean? And I said, oh, they want me to teach at school. So, wow, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so then I, I came home. I didn't even call the guy. I just packed my stuff and I flew yeah. back there and I met the guy and I said, hey, man, thanks for fixing the job. And he said, what job? I said, you called my dad and said the answer is yes. I thought it was about teaching at school. No, no, no. I just said, say, say yeah to Quinn. You know, this guy was like, oh. I was like say yeah. So, so I was back in Hollywood with a, a guitar, a suitcase full of guitar pedals and chords. And uh, I just thought, okay, well, I'm not going back. I love it here. You yeah, know? So yeah, I, yeah. The first job I got was transposing music for a record company that did these dodgy compilation albums, you know, send oh, yeah. and we'll put it on an album. And uh, hmm. so I used to write lead sheets for that. And, uh, and then I got a job... Uh, well, I got in a band actually that had a deal with uh, good management, and uh, while I was doing that, I did actually get a job at the school teaching. So I started teaching over the summer. Yeah. And uh, but then the band thing took over, and then the management dropped the band and signed me as a solo artist, and we're going to make me the next big thing from England, as they put it. And, uh, just just on the on the subject of uh, you know learning the guitar and guitar yeah. teaching and all that sort of stuff for any listeners out there who play the guitar, maybe you know beginner to advanced level. Yeah. Um, do guitarists, should guitarists, do you think, actually learn how to read music or, or are our tabs sufficient? Um, I mean, the, the obvious answer is, does Paul McCartney read music? Uh, no, he doesn't. Um, and Paul, mm. McCartney, Paul McCartney, the Beatles didn't read music. So, I mean, I, I think for some people it's, well, music is a language, you know. And, and yeah. the, the better you are as a musician, I guess, the, the, the bigger your vocabulary. You know, you you can hear a chord and know what it is and... Uh, you can hear a chord progression, know what it is. So I don't think it would make such a difference over time. But I think for for like I said, when I got the gig for the the touring band, because I could read music, I yes. could do the gig. You know, I didn't. They didn't yeah. have to. I didn't have to sit down and learn all the songs. I could just do it live. You know. Wow. I think yeah. that's why I got the gig because you know the, the, the band leader would just shout out a number. All the songs were in a massive binder, and he'd say like number sixty five, and you'd get there, and like, a one. Two, and then you just you know you just and you go straight away without without yes. rehearsing it yeah, yeah amazing yeah so i mean that's that's why i think really music is a is a, a, a large bonus you know yeah but you know all my heroes steve luther i mean he reads to a certain extent but he doesn't sight read no and then tommy tedesco I, I grew very close to who's one of the he was one of the greatest guitar players of all time probably the most recorded guitar player of all time you know he once said uh, someone said hey how important is reading he said, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's about music. He said, no one has ever come to see me read. They come no. to hear me play, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's, I, if, if, I was teach, if I was sending my kids for lessons, I'd send them for lessons where they learn to read music. Absolutely. Yeah, it's another tool to have, isn't it, in your it arsenal? Is. Yeah, and you need yeah. every tool you can these days. Yeah, yeah. And so how did you come to live in Sweden, Quinn? Well, I was in uh, Hollywood, and I, I was, that was the second year I was there. And um, I lived together with a Swedish guy who was a, a guitar player too. And uh, we shared an apartment with a, a third person 
who had actually had the contract, so we were renting secondhand. Yeah. And it was an Irish, Irish uh, Puerto Rican girl uh, who had a very fiery temperament. And uh, my friend Thomas, he was an ex-bodybuilder, so he had this habit of walking around the apartment not fully clothed to show off his body, I would say. Yeah. And naturally this girl thought it was a bit, you know, too much. So one day she said, uh, I think you should move out because I'm not happy with you, to him. So uh, yeah. and just before he was kicked out, he said, oh, I've got a friend coming to visit me from Sweden. It's a girl I, I usually work with at this nightclub where I'm uh, working. And uh, you should meet her. She's, she's really nice. And uh, so he got kicked out. And luckily for me, he met her and he said to her, uh, hey, you should meet my friend Quinn. He'll, he'll be at the donut stop on Highland Avenue. It was this amazing cafe that sold donuts and coffee and you could sit there and you would meet. You'd never know who you would meet. One day I was sat there at the, at the bar and there's a guy, older guy sat next to me and uh, we started talking. I said, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm retired now, but I used to be a drummer. I yeah. said, who do you play with? He said, I play with the king, Elvis. And the guy was DJ Fontana. It was like wow. he's Elvis's drummer. Uh, anyway, I was yeah. sat there having a coffee, and uh, they came by, and uh, I got introduced to Sana, who became my wife over time. Oh, right. And uh, we started, you know, hanging out as a threesome, and uh, feelings started to uh, show for each other. And uh, we had an amazing four months together, or three months together, and then we had the best Christmas day ever. And then the day after, she said, "Can you drive me to the airport? I need to go back to Sweden now." And I said, "What about us?" And she said. Oh, it was just a bit of fun for me. Uh, I thought, oh, my God. So, I mean, this is some of the songs on my, my new album are about this. There's a song called Hollywood where I drove back into Hollywood, went to a diner. I was so sad. I had tears in my eyes and I'm sat down at the counter yeah. for coffee. And there was a girl came and sat next to me and started flirting. And I just said to her, you know what? I said, uh, I'm flattered by your attention, but I'm the saddest guy in Hollywood right now. Do you want me to tell you about it? And she said, no, nah, you're good. And she left. And... Uh, and that was, you know, I just couldn't believe that she'd, uh, it was just a bit of fun. I was so in love with her. So yeah. luckily for me, two months later, she sent me a letter saying, uh, hey, I miss you a lot. And uh, would you like to come to Sweden for two weeks for a vacation? And, uh, so you had the blues for two months. I did. And I, and I, I bought a two-week return ticket and I flew yeah. to Sweden and I never used the return. And we'd oh, right. Now for third and the rest is history. The rest is history. We're still together and, uh, yeah. you know, we're... Uh, we have two grown-up kids, uh, yeah. Edward and Maxwell, and uh, yeah, it's Life's amazing good. how life works. You know, if my dad hadn't got that phone call mixed up, then maybe you know I wouldn't be yeah. sorry to talk to you today. It's amazing how things work out, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, last time you were on a year or so ago, we we spoke about your album "Ghost in My Heart," which yeah. I have to say is a, is a great album. Some lovely songs on there. Um, but since then, you've brought out a new one called "Quintessential." I have. And, it's and that's been highly acclaimed. Can you tell us about it, please? Yeah, well, I started the song straight after I did Ghost in My Heart, but then things came in the way, like a lot of gigs and uh, a lot of house concerts. And uh, I uh, had been over to Germany and done a house concert with Dory Jackson. And uh, the house, the host where we played, uh, Rolf and Anka, they had a, a young daughter called Julie who... Um, Later that year, when I was back in Sweden, they asked if she could come over and do some work experience in my studio. And I said, yeah. So she came over, and uh, while we were, well, I was showing sure her to record a song. I was showing sure her Logic Works and other studio works. And yeah. I heard her singing, and uh, she had a beautiful voice. So I said, wow, you should, uh, maybe you can record some backing vocals on one of my tracks. Uh, so I'd written a song called Endless Summer. So we did that as a single, and she was on that. And uh, so I put that out, and uh, I had 
basically about eight or nine songs written, demoed, but not finished. And yeah. uh, uh, then she came back uh, two years later, which just shows you because of COVID, you know, all that time was yeah. nothing happened. I was on my way to Japan to promote the first album because my record company in Japan were going to they sell it in Tower Records, so we we're going to do a promo. But COVID came and all that got uh, shelved. So, mm. so basically, I, I, I started to record the songs for real, and uh, Julie came back, and uh, it's actually a misunderstanding. She wanted to come back just for vacation, and uh, you know, stay at our place, and. Uh, I, I somehow got that mixed up with, because I said to her when she said that, I said, could you record another track for me on my album? She said, yeah, sure. But somehow be- before she arrived, I kind of turned it around in my head to she was going to record the whole album. Oh, so right. When she, when she arrived the next day, I had her in the studio at 10 o'clock. We worked till six. Then the next day I did the same thing and we just kept working. And she never said a word about, uh, well, actually, I just came for a vacation. <laughs> but she did the, the full album. And uh, yeah. I, had a, I had to get it out in Japan before... Uh, the end of the year last year and uh, so it came out in japan um and sold through tower records with my record company p vine yeah uh, but then i i kind of felt that there were some things about it that i wanted to change and there were a couple more songs that i'd written afterwards that i wanted to put on there and somehow i don't know how it's happened but a year has gone by and uh, now i'm just addressing the fact that i need to to um you know, get my finger out and get it out there. So, so it's due for release next year, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It has yeah. come out next year. I mean, it's, it's yeah. been ridiculous how long it's. But you know what? It, you know it is. Life gets in the way. Yeah, of course it does. And, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the tombstone thing came up. And, yeah, and and is it in a similar sort of vein to Ghost in My Heart? It is. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like I I didn't have enough space on the first album to get all the tracks. Yeah. You know, like the the Hollywood song was written around the same time, and you know, yeah. it's about that my future wife leaving me in Hollywood and, uh, you know, first you say you love me and then you're saying you, you don't, you're leaving me, but leading me on, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm very happy with the, the, the songs on the new album. I think. Yeah. And then I, I got this review of, uh, uh, another, uh, podcast called inside music cast. Uh, the guys are based in, uh, in the States and, uh, they loved it and chose it as one of their albums of the year. So, Yes, I saw that. That's great. That was nice. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to hearing it. I must admit. But it is available in Japan. This is the first rendition. It is, it. yeah. And unfortunately, it's it's very expensive to, to, to buy from Japan. Uh, yeah. With the postage and the tax and stuff, which is a shame. But uh, hmm. I might put it out on Bandcamp before Christmas. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. But uh, I, I think it might be wise to wait until I have the album exactly as I want it. And will it be available on CD and vinyl? I'll, yeah, vinyl especially. I'm going to press the first album in vinyl as well. Oh, excellent. Talking to yeah. uh, Francis Frey and Chris Topham. Yes, it's amazing how popular vinyl seems to be again. Yeah, I think it's the romance thing. You know, it's, um, one, yeah. it does sound better. And two, our generation, we grew up listening to, you know, that kind of, that's yeah. how we listen to music. You know, the, the smell yeah. of the vinyl, the, 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 the gatefold sleeves that had all the information, pictures on it. Yes. It and you actually have something to, to, to have and hold and take it somewhere and have a look at and... Exactly. spill beer over or whatever i must admit i don't know whether it's the same in sweden but we have a quite a number of small should we say small one-man band or one lady band vinyl shops springing up okay. in, in cool. towns and cities is it the same in sweden yeah we've we've always had quite a lot of vinyl places actually so you know it's um i just have to let my dog in because she's gonna make a noise <laughs> Sorry. yeah no that's fine there you go. Uh, yeah we've always had quite a few shops they, they didn't seem to close down here so no and you know Sweden is 
it's, it's a it's a real music city. People are, you know, there's so many bands and everybody has a studio at home. It's just, you know, yeah. people love music. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard that, um, you mentioned him a bit earlier on, but Brian Robertson, doesn't he live in Sweden? He does. He lives about, I'd say about 40 minutes from me. I've met wow. him a few times around yeah. town and, yeah. uh, at gigs and stuff. So, uh, yeah. 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 So you're fresh back from a UK tour with Francis Dunnery's Blues Project. Yes, and it was amazing. We had such a great time. We did eight gigs in eight days, and we'd covered over 2,000 miles in our wow. tour bus, which was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And and this was, um, I say, a blues project, because normally Francis Dunnery is associated with, you know, prog, um, his own sort of acoustic-type stuff. But this is this this was something quite different. Yeah, this is, uh, he's really serious about this. This is like a five-year project, as he calls it. So he really yeah. wants to. And the difference between this and the other music that he's done is that every time he does an album, he changes. You know, he never yes. releases a copy of the, the album before, uh, which can alienate fans or lose fans or maybe gain new fans. But with this blues project, it's it's going to be, you know, one genre of music that uh, we're going to do. And, uh, you know, we'll build a fan base slowly over time and uh yeah it's, it's like it's like acdc they, you know when you buy an acdc album you know exactly how it's going to sound you know? yeah you're not going to be surprised and uh i think that's more of the approach for this this um this type of project that we're doing and it's 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 really important that it's authentic as well i mean i put together a pedal board for this tour and uh basically within two days of rehearsals <laughs> I, I think I had 10 pedals on it. And by the end of the two days rehearsals, it made me re- remove eight of them. So I just had a, a tuner and a boost pedal and that was it. Wow. And he was right, actually. Yeah. You know, I had, a, I had a what he called a Hammond pedal. It was just a, a tremolo pedal that I used on one song and he didn't like that. So I had to take that up as well. But, um, so it's quite raw and in quotes organic, the sound. Yeah, very, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. very much so. And, uh, you know, Francis has... I've got to say he's one of the best guitar players I've ever been. Just the sound is in his hands, you know, he just plugs straight yeah. into a, a, a tube amp and uh, it's, yeah. it's incredible to see him. Uh, and, and I saw on, on some of the posts that he's had, he was, he was actually playing slide guitar most of the time. Yeah, that's a new thing for him. And, and what most people don't realise is he plays in, in standard tuning, which if, you, if you've ever tried to play a slide, you'll know it's very difficult. Yeah. You know, all the classic cliche blues licks are often in, you know, open E or open G or whatever. Yeah. But he's he's managed to learn to play in uh, yeah in standard shape, and I think it sounds like Francis. It, 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 I don't know; it just sounds like him, you know. Even though it's a new style of playing, it, it has his touch, and uh, yeah. So you've always been a fan of Francis, don't you? Or, or cer- certainly when they came out. With it, it started in '86. I mean, uh, I think, and that was the year I moved to 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 LA. And yeah. unfortunately, I mean, I, this is pr- probably one of the biggest regrets of my life. I was playing at the Whiskey A Go Go one night. And our manager said, oh, there's an English band playing at the Roxy, which is just like 100 metres up the street. Do you want to go after the gig? I can fix you in. And Because uh, we were in the Whiskey A Go Go, you know, The Doors, Hendrix, all those famous bands that played there. We thought we were so cool. No, we're, we're good. We'll stay here. And then I found out the day after that the uh, the English band was Go West, supported by It Bites. And oh, wow. Go West, Alan Murphy, who was my favourite guitar player at the time, was playing. Yeah. So we met him. And then I would have met Francis, of course, in... Uh, so I really, I, mean, I think about that often because I would have loved to have met both Alan yeah. Murphy and Francis at that time. Yeah. But uh, so I kind of followed it, followed it by it's from a distance in the States. And then when Francis started doing solo stuff, American Life in the Summertime, I, I loved that album. Uh, I missed the Gully Flats album. Uh, 
And then I got back into him when he released another album. Yeah. And then basically from there, you know, I had very little contact with him until 2012 when I saw that he did house concerts and I, I booked him through his manager to come to Stockholm and play in my house. And that's when I... That's how you got to know him a bit better. That's how the friendship started. And yeah, yeah. That was a Monday night, so it wasn't the best night of a house concert. And uh, I remember him getting out of his car and saying, I wanted the, uh, I think I wanted the the LA album, uh, the one with American Life in the summertime. I wanted that show because the albums are based around, the shows are based around albums. Yeah. And he got out of his car and says, uh, hey, is it okay if I do the Gully Flats Boys show? And I've never heard the album. So yeah, of course. That way, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was, it, they're the most beautiful like naked songs and probably the best for a house concert. So, yeah. And the great thing is this is the power of music. I invited about 50 people and they were a mixture of my clients, my friends, my family, my neighbors. And I'd say out of 52 people, 50 had never heard of Francis Dunnery. No. By the end of the night, you know, he was selling t-shirts and, and CDs and my neighbors who could hardly speak English were saying, this is the best thing we've ever seen. And what, what is it about him that, that sort of attracts people? I think it's the authenticity of what he does. He's very authentic. What you see is what you get with Francis. There's no, you know, he puts himself at a distance now to the to the rock star days and, you know, talks about he'd never fit in the leather trousers. And why would he want to? Because that's not who he is right now. You know, now he's evolved into this person that he is. And, uh, and he just, I think the stories he tells, which are often life lessons just resonate with people and you know you can see a lot of yourself and uh and he's just such a positive explosion of energy you know it's just incredible to to witness him and and very delicate at the same time when he's doing his acoustic stuff you know he doesn't use a pa he doesn't use a microphone he just has an acoustic guitar and a plectrum or his fingers and he just comes into a room and just mesmerizes people that is that is not easy to do i've played a lot of solo shows myself it's uh and that probably is one of the the, the the highlights of my career when I played in London when I opened for him at Bush Hall. Um, I remember Francis taking to taking me to one side before I went out and said, "Now, Quint, listen. When you get out there, people are not going to listen to you. They're going to turn their backs and talk. But don't worry about it. Just enjoy yourself, you know." Yeah. I thought, "Cheers, man. What a great." Talk. <laughs> uh, but when I got out there and I started to play, I could hear the room quieting down in almost in rows all the way to the back of the room. And by the time I was finishing my first song, you could hear a pin drop, and that was. Obviously, that is, you know, some kind of reaction to my songs and what I'm doing, and it's 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 the best feeling in the world because you're actually connecting with people so much that they feel they would rather listen to you than talk to the man and wait for the main act to come on. You know, so uh, I mean, the other thing about Francis is the energy that he has for all these different projects. Now he's starting a farm and he's doing his astrology and he's doing guitar lessons, songwriting lessons. You know, the guy never yeah. stopped. It's incredible. No, well, we had him on the show about six months ago. And yeah. um, it was one of those shows. I said to him, "Yeah, it'd probably be about forty minutes or everything." <laughs> but it went on and on. It was it was really interesting, mm. and uh, the sort of ra- range of interest that he has, yeah, yeah, and his cool. outlook on life, and and yep. and I, I know exactly what you mean when you say he's an explosion of of personality and stuff. Mm-hmm. He, he's amazing. Yeah. Okay, um, so when you went on tour with Tombstone Dunnery, I mean, had had you? What, what was it like in terms of rehearsals? Did it come together quite quickly? Did you did you go and sort of have a week or two rehearsals before you went oh, out on the road? No, we. Uh, it started by Francis sent the band members. Um, originally, we were going to be a four piece, uh, yes, and then we got the idea to bring in a keyboard player, uh, just because it adds such a 
nice dimension to it with a key, blues keyboard. And uh, so we got this guy called Dan Burnett that none of us had met before and knew. Uh, he was recommended through a friend of uh, Francis. Yes. So Francis would literally write a song and then send it to us. Uh, and because he was writing them on different guitars, the, the keys were all different. Like one guitar would be tuned down a half step, another guitar would be tuned down a, a whole step. Yeah. Uh, so we had to figure out how we we're going to do this live because you couldn't keep retuning your guitar. Anyway, we decided to record an e, uh, play an E flat. So we'd send out a song and then I, we'd discuss which parts I was going to play, which parts he was going to play. And uh, he just basically called each musician and, you know, did it over the phone kind of thing, what we're going to do. Yes. And over time, the arrangements changed and maybe some songs got dropped. I think there were about 23 songs from the beginning. I think we ended up playing 16 live. Um, and basically what we did, we went over and had three days rehearsal in uh, Phil Beaumont's studio, Phil Beaumont, yeah. the drummer, yeah, yeah. and also Pat. Francis' personal manager, I guess you could call him. He's been with him for ages. Uh, we had three days rehearsal there and basically just decided... Uh, oh, Francis asked me to learn all these slide parts like three days before I went over. Because, oh, you had to do slide as well? Well, he, he asked me to learn all the slide parts because mm-hmm. he didn't know who would play rhythm or who would play slide. or yeah. you know, So we had the option of being able to swap around. But yes. in the end, I, I played all the rhythm stuff and he could yes. just concentrate on his slide, which I, I was happy with. I thought that was the best. Yeah. Because he's... I don't know. For me, the identity of this project is a little bit his slide playing and the, you know his vocals. Obviously, that's that's what people yeah. hook onto. But uh, so we had three days rehearsal, and then uh, that was it. It was like okay, now we're getting in the bus, and uh, first gig was in Carlisle. Um, it was great. We got offered like one of Britain's biggest blues festivals straight away after that gig. The first. Which which festival was that, Quint? I'm not sure. I, I think there's one in Cone uh, in Lancashire that's pretty Oh, yeah. Good. Then there was yeah. one down south, which I can't remember the name of, but it was one of those. And the, the person who booked us said, this is the biggest one. And uh, yeah. you guys should headline it, which we, we were like, wow. After one gig, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> that's that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then that happened. As the more gigs we played, the more offers we got to do festivals next year. So uh, yeah. it's looking. And we're going to do an album in February. So Oh, brilliant. So, and the T-shirts went really well. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a serious project that France So I, I guess after sort of three days rehearsal, which to most people wouldn't be an awful lot, but you are accomplished musicians, so that helps. I, I guess as, as the tour went on, it sort of, you gelled more and more, did you? We did gel more and more, but the thing was when we rehearsed, we, like what we did on day one with some of the songs, maybe we changed the arrangements on day two and maybe even changed the key. And when you say blues, most people think, ah, oh, it's just three chords. But Francis has put his own touch to this, so it's not just three chords. It's, no. it's structured and, you know, there are a few diminished chords and a few passing chords that are in there. And uh, So it was basically about remembering what the latest arrangement was when we played live because we changed a few of the songs so many times that, uh, yeah. you know, and... Uh, but yeah, we did gel more and more as it went on, and, and you know the last few gigs. Were well, they all in? I mean, obviously, blues tends to be one or two keys, but were a lot of them in the same key? Uh, yeah, they were actually. <laughs> but Francis, being Francis, is pretty smart. So what we would do when we had two songs that were in the same key following each other, uh, after one song finished, you'd get the keyboard player to play a little noodling in between, transpose oh, yeah. it to another key. So maybe if we were an E. He'd yeah. play something in D and then end it, and then I'd start a riff in E, and it would sound like we lifted and changed key. You know, so very good. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, that's Francis for you. You know, the, yeah. the, the other thing I learned from the, from Francis, I've been playing guitar for forty years, but you know, I learned so much on this tour. Small things you never think about. You know, like like when you're sound checking, pl- 
play exactly like you're going to play when you play live because the sound engineer is going to EQ your guitar accordingly. Uh, and singing too when I was doing my backing vocals and just checking them out. You see, that, that's an interesting one because being a guitarist myself, um, you know, I've got this band with Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always sort of, when, when I've had the sound check, I've always gone up to number eight or something on the guitar yeah. and had a little bit in reserve. And I guess a lot of guitarists do that. They do. And I, and I was doing that too. And, <laughs> and, and Francis pulled me up and said, look, just put your guitar on full the whole time. Yeah. Leave the amp. And he's saying, you it was describing how at certain times during rehearsal, they said, you're not fitting in with the band. You're either too loud or you're too low. You need to find your, your volume. Yeah. So when he's, when Francis is singing, he's listening to every instrument. And if there's anything that jars or doesn't feel right, it, it'd stop us and say, you know, it's too loud or it's the wrong, it's too trebly or, you know, he's listening to the big picture. And uh, yeah. I've got to say that he was right. You know, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. And it was and it was a lot easier to do the gig because once your guitar's on full, you can just concentrate on playing. You're not trying to, uh, you know, uh, get louder or no. And I and I guess you're you're sort of handing ownership of the of the sound then to to, to somebody else, aren't you? Yeah. You, and, you, and we had the best sound guy. No more variables. No more variables. We had the best mm. sound guy. We had Phil Brown who had just come back from Germany, been doing Marillion. Uh, I think he's in Russia now with Steve Ogarth doing solo shows, and he he recorded every show every night. And uh, yeah. I used to make these little promo videos on the bus for the next gig, like take a, a, a video from YouTube and put our music on it, just like 20 seconds on say, yes. get the tickets, blah, blah, blah. And so we were hearing how we sounded every day and uh, his recordings were just incredible. They were fantastic. So, yeah. so much clarity. And uh, so that was a good thing too, because we got feedback as to how it sounded live. Because, yeah. you know, it never sounds the same on stage. Is always a... And did you have an opportunity, did you have opportunities to play sort of lead guitar solos yourself? I got one solo and one song, uh, which probably will change over time. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't mind. I enjoy playing rhythm. You know, I enjoy yeah, yeah. the yeah. Keith Richards of the band. Just Yeah, it, it looked um, truly sort of, in, in the be- and I mean this in the best possible way, quite understated with the Telecaster. Yeah. Um, I wanted to take a guitar. The, the reason I chose the Telecaster was... I was traveling with a guitar, so I wanted a guitar that I knew if they made me put it in the hole, it could stand being thrown around because that's yeah. Cool. And I had a good flight case for it. Yeah. Uh, but I had a Gibson 339, which is like a smaller version of a 335, which probably would have been a better guitar because there's more tonal options on that. Yeah. But uh, I ended up using the telly. And a lot of people said they, they thought it sounded great. And it was a good yeah. contrast to what Francis was using, which was a yeah. Hofner hollow semi-acoustic. Yeah, I think a Telecaster is a lovely guitar. Yeah, and you know, you it's it's been there since what fifty two. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, exactly, exactly. Um, and how would you describe the blues that you that you play? Are there any other bands that people could sort of listen to and think, well, yeah, that that if I go and see Tombstone Dunnery, that's what they're going to sound like. I know it won't be exactly the same, but but you know, no, can you I, give I, any I, examples? I couldn't really give you an example, but what I can say is that Francis is so intent on it being authentic. We did a Robert Johnson song. Uh, and that is, you know, I just played dum, 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 an A note, the whole song. That's all yeah. I played. And he played acoustic and slide and we sang. We went out into the audience and got him to sing along. That was kind of a high point. In the night. So it's quite rootsy. It's very rootsy. And we have yeah. these other songs that have some riffs that are not exactly blues, but for me it's what sets us apart from other blues bands that we have Francis's songs and, and his riffs. And we were discussing this on the bus about the album which songs we're going to leave off and which songs we're going to record. And Francis wants it to be really authentic and really pure, which might cost us 
ditching some of the songs that I thought set us apart from other bands, but yeah. you know, Francis knows what he's doing. So, yeah. uh, but we have some songs that have riffs in that are, you know, pretty heavy. Um, it's blues, but it's still very heavy. You could almost say that it's going off into another genre of music. And he wants to avoid that because he wants us to be exactly what it says on the tin, you know, blues. Yeah. No offense. Yeah. And going back to your, your own work, yeah. Quint, um, how, how do you sort of set out writing as well? And you mentioned about that one that sort of to do with Hollywood and your girlfriend leaving you temporarily and all that sort of thing. And that was an inspiration. But, but how do you sort of come out with, with the actual music itself, the melody? Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, it's like, it's just hard work. And, and for me, it's so much easier to write a song when I have a story that's true because you know, I have friends that write songs and I know how hard it is to write a song that's that's good lyrically. You know, yeah. I, I said that about, Fran- I was talking to Francis, he has a blues song, that one of the songs, and he said, one of the lyrics was, it's hard to love a woman with a perfect face. And he says so much in that yeah. one line, you know, it's you've got the beauty of a woman, you've got the troubles involved in loving a woman that's so beautiful, you've got the heart, you know, it just says so much. And it's hard to write lyrics that, connect like that I've got, a friend has just sent me some lyrics now and it's a nice song but you can tell that the lyrics are constructed to to make up a story that's not really true and i think when you have something to write about it's a lot easier because you can actually first of all if it's something like that hollywood song where i was heartbroken yeah it's, it's easier to convey your feelings and, and the the feeling comes back to you when you're writing the song and maybe that suggests melodies um, it's a bit like John Lennon said. I mean, you know, he said you, you just have to, all the songs are out there. You just have to put up your antenna and reel one in. Yeah, I think it's kind of like that. You know, you you, you start recording and uh, or, or strumming on your guitar, and something comes, and you say something it. comes. It's it, and you're there. You're the sort of means to an end almost. Yeah. It's there then, anyway. And then there's of course the the the, the amount of skill you have and the skill set. I mean, I, I was listening to Don McLean yesterday. I saw a documentary where they played the original demo of American Pie, where it was him just recording his first idea. And, and he, he played right up until, uh, you know, February, maybe shiver. And all that, all the lyrics up to that point were just coming from his mind spontaneously. Really? And they ended up on the record. That's amazing, isn't it? And that is amazing. And it's yeah. about, it's about capturing that. Cause often yeah. you, you tend to, I think everybody does this. You, you get a chord progression and, and then you get lyrics in your head, but they're not really there. So you kind of phonetically make a sound and then that, sound sounds like a word and then it just seems to come together and yeah uh, you know I, I, all my best songs i wrote for emi for like seven years and th- those songs were just made up they were you know they would say they'd give you a list and say hey britney's making an album think share meets prodigy or something and you get a brief and it was like building a house to a, to a you know plans that have been submitted you contrived that yeah. to, uh, and it was contrived yeah yeah and i think you connect more with people when you you write from your heart and you know yeah. It's a situation most people have been in, you know. But it, it's interesting, I think, that um, on one hand, somebody such as yourself, an accomplished guitarist, you're then doing what I would consider to be a, a, a totally different skill set, which is, you know, wordsmithing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've written a lot of music for TV and a lot of commercials, and, and you know, pe- they're, they're, the client's wish is to get their slogan or their message across in such a short time as possible yeah, because they want to ad- advertise their wares in the, in the, and, and these are mainly in, these are mainly in, in Sweden, are they Quinn? Yeah, I've done Sweden. I've done some stuff for England. I've done some stuff yeah. for my friend in New York. Um, you know, so it's, uh, 
it's, it varies, but mostly Sweden. I've had a great career doing that, you know. Yeah. And, and so it's it's interesting for me to, to suddenly meet a guy like Francis who says, hey, you know, make an album, you're a muso. Yeah. You know, then make a proper album and then, you know, get out on tour and support him and then join two bands that he's in. It's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm and are there, are there any, um, any if, if any listeners want to hear any of your advertising or perhaps remember any of the advertising, are there any UK-based um advertisements that people might be familiar with nothing that's running now but no. um i did one for is it 81180 it was the director of inquiries that was a pretty good one it was like a punk thing that i did director inquiries yeah and it was a punk thing did you say yeah, yeah. oh right 81180 <laughs> that kind of thing i bet that's on youtube somewhere it will be, yeah. Unfortunately, my website has just, uh, I, I haven't updated my company website for years. And I've, it's just died, actually, because the uh, the WordPress is so old that it doesn't work yeah. anymore. So, and I'm, yeah, I think the world has changed. I think now you need to reach people quicker. So I think I'm probably just going to do an Instagram account with my for my company, you know, because you can just, that's where people look now. They're on yeah. the phone. And you know nobody goes into websites. I don't think they don't seem to now. It's more Instagram stories in particular, isn't it? Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I got used to saying a lot with very few, you know, with words, trying to maximise the message in very few words. Yeah. Uh, and that's the hardest thing to to make something as short as possible, but as memorable as possible. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next album. So, what other? Um, you mentioned about the recording of the album with Francis, the Tombstone Dunnery Blues Project. Yeah. Um, you've got the new album coming out hopefully fairly soon in yeah. the new year. What other projects have you got coming up, Quint? Um, well, we're going to do the It Bites tour in uh, January, which is uh, looking good. Sold out in uh, Manchester and London. I think the other two are Glasgow and Wolverhampton are almost sold out. Yeah. We're going to do the album with Tombstone, and then there's going to be a new It Bites album that we're all going to be involved in, uh, which is great. Fantastic. Um, Pete Jones on keyboards, as usual, who's yeah. also Camel. So he was the original uh, It Bites keyboard player, was he? No, uh, no, he wasn't actually. Uh, Did you mention Camel then? Yeah, but Pete's been with Francis about five years, I think. Now. So yeah. he's been a keyboard player. But uh, no, the only original member in, in our, in Francis Dunnery, it, it Bites is Francis Dunnery. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Bob and uh, the other guys have their own thing, I think, with someone else. But, yeah. Oh, I look forward to that then. And you become, you'll be touring, well, you are touring in the UK. You mentioned a couple of um, the dates UK. there. Been, I'm probably going to do some house concerts in the UK as well when it gets yeah. towards uh, like spring, summer time there. Yeah. I've booked a few already. So I noticed that, that Francis was quite enthusiastic about promoting Wolverhampton. Yeah, it's a bigger venue than we played last time. I think we played yeah. Slade Rooms last time and this is KK Steel or something, which is supposed oh, to be great. a much more passing venue for our type of uh, band. Uh, so I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Uh, basically, I'm going to I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be uh, recording some more. I've written a few more songs that I want to get recorded. I don't know if it's going to be an album or an EP, but uh, I think that the, the trick is now is is to get material out and keep a constant flow to keep your fan base interested. And uh, you know, rather than take a year to make an album and then put it out and then wait another year or whatever. So I think maybe I'm going to do the get this album out and then maybe do song for song. Uh, yeah. And then maybe make an album of if you release twelve things over a year, you know, one a month, whatever. Just put it out. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it shows my age now, but I, I remember in the seventies, you, you'd get bands like T Rex, and they bring an out, they bring a single out, and then another one. Yeah. Um, and the albums were, I mean, they were coming out, but it was more. I think the interest was more of the singles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, Francis said an interesting thing when I made my first album. He said uh, 
normally when you make an album, you've got three really good songs and the rest are kind of fillers. Uh, but he was very, in fact, I, I was blown away. We were having a discussion. This sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but I'm so proud of the fact that I heard these words come from Francis Donnery's mouth. He said that uh, he wore my album out when it came out, playing it in his car. And he said, uh, he said, you know what, man? It's one of my top five albums of all time. And I thought, did anybody record that? <laughs> that? <laughs> it it <laughs> is know? a very good album. And, and um, you know, when, when we first spoke to each other about 18 months ago. I had the album on myself quite a lot. And every song is is a potential sort of single, I think. No, thanks. Well, that's, that's – and I didn't set out to make it like that. I just no. – no, I didn't set out to make any singles. I just set out to to record those songs. And, yeah. Uh, no, it's great. Because it's so personal, it probably resonates with – Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you. I'll put all your links, which I've already got, um, yeah, my, Quint on my the show notes. My audience site is quintstarky.net, which is probably the, the site to go in on if you want to yeah. find what I'm, what I'm up to. And I usually print my uh, – I usually post my gigs on there as well. So. Oh, well, that's great. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing you. Talking in the, to you. Yeah. Uh, and I love all your all your work. I, lo- I listen to all your uh, podcasts, and it's uh, it's nice to get a, a little glimpse into other uh, people's, you know, journeys through life. And uh, Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. Which is why we do it, really. To, yeah. to, to talk to all these people. and uh, Yeah, it's yeah. a privilege, really. Yeah. Well, I Great. hope we meet next time we're in the UK and uh, we can uh, come to a gig and come back. Definitely. That way, Definitely. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks very much then. And great talking to you. Thank Quinn. Uh, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Undercurrent Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family. And if you have 60 seconds, I would be most grateful if you would please rate and review. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best.